1: Strange noises have been occurring that have led to all sorts of shenanigans in my house.
0: Whereabouts are those noises happening? Well,
1: this is the thing. I was in the shower this morning. I'm very distracted going through many things I had to do <laughs> just on autopilot. And I heard this banging and knocking, you know, and I thought, mm, nobody else in the house. Banging and knocking again. I thought, oh my God, it must be the postman. Ran out of the shower, ran downstairs, opened the door. No. Came back up, still banging and knocking. You know what it was or who it was, don't you? That would tip me over the edge because I've been listening to all those ghost podcasts,
0: oh. <laughs> so I'd be terrified by this point. What was it then?
1: Okay, well, you're going to be cross because oh. it's my my own little furry ghost, Margaret. Oh, what's it been doing now, that cat? She was in the cupboard under the sink. I mean, how did she even get in there? Why? I don't know, but she has got a good little tapping action with her paw. She was tapping to come out, (laughs) like the Battersea Poltergeist. I don't understand. I don't understand. Was she tapping SOS in Morse code with her little furry paw? Might have been. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife,
0: from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens... Via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness, careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances.
1: Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act.
0: So here we are, Trish, in the first throes of what is now officially known as spring because uh, we are recording in the week of the spring equinox, aren't we? which means our days are getting longer and there's a bit more sunlight for you to pot around doing, I don't know what it is you do in that garden, whatever it is you do with the bulbs in the garden.
1: Well, yes. And also picking up the dog and cat poo. There is that (laughs) (laughs) in the dark. No, I am feeling really good about it. It's lovely. Everything is springing. There's blossom everywhere. It does feel like a time of hopeful renewal, doesn't it? It is. And, you know, people often say that midlife is kind of this
0: autumn from a chronological point of view. You know I get the fear about the winter Mm. (laughs) and the death. Um, But I actually think spring is a better description of this stage of life because I feel quite happy and hopeful in my 50s. Mm. I feel renewed. We had a brilliant post about this on our private Facebook group this week, didn't we, from Melanie who highlighted how much there is to look forward to in our magnificent midlife.
1: Yes, I think this one resonated with us both because it's got the old emptiness thing going on. So I'll just read it out for you. It's, yes, yeah, it's love. Yesterday, I drove to Leeds to see my daughter in a play in her final year at uni. It's a bonus that both my girls are at the same uni and they took me to the Union Bar for a drink before the show. I was hit with such a sense of nostalgia and deja vu of my own uni days 30 years ago not least because they all now wear the same fashion as we did then in the 90s. 90s. Yeah, exactly. So my initial feelings of sadness for my lost youth were soon replaced by pride in seeing this new young generation making the most of their uni days in the same way that I did. I hugged them goodbye at the end of the night. They headed back into their world and I headed to my hotel, but I had to stop myself from feeling like a sad, washed up, redundant old has-been and give myself a bit of a talking to. I changed the negative chatter in my head to one more positive. I have raised two confident, independent women and I need to keep looking forwards, not backwards as I embark on my own new chapter. I too have been studying and have recently become a certified nutrition coach and a menopause coach to help other women going through this challenging phase of life. I also had a really comfortable night's <laughs> yes. sleep. Wouldn't get back to student digs if you paid me. That is just lovely. It's, it's lovely, on the head.
0: It? This hopeful outlook, something we hear a lot, Um, and Actually, many in the group uh, on our private Facebook group this week liked our chat on the episode with Claire Sweeney, where we talked about a midlife softening, which a lot of us go through. I I tried restorative yoga to soften, didn't I? And you talked Mm -hmm. about your deepening into life course. Susan wrote on the group something really intriguing, actually. She said, loving listening to last week's episode and so relate. Every week I learn something new, but have been struck by the conversation about softening. As a bit of a type A, I think she means alpha, like me, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can really relate to the challenge of relaxation yoga and anything woo-woo. But I think as we get older, sometimes there is a bit of a fork in the road. Some women lose their sharp edges and others seem to get more prickly. Um, I know which I am and which I want to be.
1: What do you think about that fork in the road In the re- Well, she's right, oh. isn't it? Because a fork in the road is about a choice, isn't it? And which, yeah. which path you choose to take. Do you slow down? stop being so busy. And that kind of then allows you the time um, and space to kind of just notice the really good stuff Mm. in the everyday, because otherwise we're just kind of hurtling. If we choose the other road, we'll keep hurtling down it and maybe miss everything.
0: Kinder to go down the slower road, isn't it, really?
1: The slower, softer road. We're with you on that one.
0: We are, and today it's a very much spring-themed episode because we've got some new ideas to offer you on our laugh and learn tips, as we like to call them. We're going to be chatting fashion and talking through what's in the shops for spring and how we can give our outfits or our wardrobe a quick spring reboot. We've got tips from an expert and our own personal recommendations
1: we do indeed. And we'll be interviewing a really smart, witty midlifer who has written a thought provoking and useful new book called The Happy Vagina. Mika Simmons is part of a new breed of multi-talented creators who have so many skills across multiple industries, which feels like a a really clever and modern way of being a woman in today's world, doesn't it? I discovered Mika
0: via her podcast, The
1: Happy Vagina, and she seems to have all these simultaneous
0: careers going on. And I quite like the way her take on stuff is not predictable or traditional. Uh, it's quite a nourishing and new listen for me, so um, I'm looking forward to hearing what she's got to say today.
1: But before we get to that, a couple of things. Firstly, bit of an <laughs> apology from us, isn't there? Because um, someone didn't put the brilliant midlife playlist from our Sophie Ellis Bexter show on Spotify, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because we're soft, we're slow. You know, it's User a bit of. User, user error, error exactly.
0: Trish. Uselessness and user error. You know, all the, the lovely songs that you recommended are on our Facebook post asking for those songs. So they are there. I just needed someone with a bit more time to put them all on Spotify for us, or I'll wait until a teenager comes home. So apologies uh, for that list, because uh, we did want you dancing around the kitchen. I think we should talk a little bit now about our uh, live show, because that was one of the reasons I ran out of time to do the Spotify playlist. I was so busy. Sorting out postcards from Midlife, the festival in May.
1: We're working hard
0: on it, aren't we? We really are. So talking of the live show, Trish, who have we got lined up for the first ever two-day Midlife Festival at London's Business Design Centre on Friday, May the 19th and Saturday, May the 20th?
1: Well, coming along to Postcards from Midlife live, we have celebrities like Ruby Wax, Patsy Kensett, Sadie Frost, Andy Oliver. Louise Minchin, and many more. And we've teamed up with the world's most respected experts in the fields of nutrition, health, careers, finance, relationships, parenting, fashion, beauty, and wellness.
0: Yes, we have. There's gut guru, Professor Tim Spector, to answer all your diet and weight questions. Dr Louise Newson to sort out all your perimenopause and menopause dilemmas. Katie Brindle, with advice on relieving stress. The Insomnia Clinic, working out how we all get a good night's sleep. Therapist Julia Samuel on how to solve family problems and Ruth Ramsey, who's going to help you with sex and relationship issues, not to mention all the parenting experts we have in the room too.
1: Yes, so we're basically going to tell the life stories of high-profile women and solve all your midlife dilemmas at the same time, as well as offering you a gorgeous shopping experience and our very own bookshop with exclusive author signings. And don't
0: forget, there's a midlife playroom too, where we have a series of workshops helping you unleash your creativity. We've even got two Olympians coming along to reset your fitness motivation and some fabulous refreshments.
1: Yes, we'd love to meet you in person. Uh, so book your tickets now on our website, postcardsfrommidlifelive.co.uk. That's postcardsfrommidlifelive.co.uk. Exciting times, Trish. Maybe
0: when it's all done, I'll do that Spotify playlist <laughs> yes. right, may I, if I
1: survive. Well, if you need a break, Lorraine, we have a fantastic offer on our private Facebook group because we've teamed up with Dates to offer a £500 gift voucher for simply filling in a very short survey because we want to find out about all of your midlife travel habits so go on to the Facebook group and you'll be in with a chance to win.
0: Shall we get on with this show because it's time to slip back into our fashion magazine editor mode and help our wonderful listeners embrace the new season. So every wardrobe benefits from a spring update. And I thought I would turn to someone who knows what they're talking about. So I turned to Anna Barkley, who is, well, she's a friend of mine. She was a women's wear buyer for 21 years. She worked with and advised over 130 brands, everyone from Reefs and Topshop to Prada. And her speciality is understanding women's body shapes. And she runs her own business, Anna Barkley Styling, uh, Annaberkley.com, And she is all about helping women manage their wardrobes and shop for specific things to suit them. Super down to earth, even though she writes a fashion column for the Financial Times. I emailed her and I said, Anna, what's the lowdown on spring 2023 for the midlife woman? Help us, I said. So she sent this back. First of all, get a shoe, she said. Everybody, uh, no matter how disinterested you might be in trends, should be looking for the shoe of the season. And guess what it is this time, Trish?
1: Um, I bet it's been round the block. It's been round yes. before. We should have kept them originally.
0: Yes, we should. It's the Mary Jane. It's
1: come ah. back. Um, I quite
0: like the little flat endedness of the mm-hmm. Mary Jane. Um, some really lovely ones out there. There's a, she says, heel height of 60 millimetres. So Ooh. I think it's um, doable. Um, Very specific. She's mentioned a lovely white pair on and other stories for £120. Um, Wear them with pale or vintage wash jeans um, or a cream trouser even, she says. Mm. She likes jeans and trousers for a cute French look, she mentioned. There's another website called Vagabond where there's another pair for 120 and that's a black pair. I'm going to mention my shoe of the season at this point, Trish. We have to decide what we call them. They're either a football manager driving shoe or it's a kind of old school loafer. I'm not talking about those. Gucci type loafers with the little chain across the top. This is the one with a little ruching. Oh. They look super comfortable, but I think they look quite uh, trendy. There's a pair uh, uh, that Cos have for eighty nine pounds. I have been looking at some vintage ones on eBay as well. What What do you think about the driving shoe? The sort of more
1: chunky ones, because yeah. a driving shoe is that very sort of. It's like posh men in Portofino, isn't it? With a suede yes. little loafer with those little white things. lotus. Exactly, that's what I was thinking. Yes. Tom Hollander in White Lotus. That's that shoe. Well, I'm thinking normal chunky loafer. Chunky okay. loafer. I don't think so. I don't think All either right. of those of you the, for me, my little frame. Well, okay. Well, that's where we are. So mm. get yourself
0: a Mary Jane or a chunky loafer. I'll go for the Mary Janes for sure. Anna is also recommending something I am super keen on. I'm trying to look for one as we speak. Uh, everybody needs a shirt. Shirts are the big thing this season. Go a little bit oversized. You have got a lot of shirts. So what's different? Softer, Trish. Softer, oh, Trish. Softer. Can I tell you what a terrible thing that happened to me? I was trying on my shirt... This was just after I'd been to the GP for a a checkup with the nurse and the nurse said, oh, you put on a bit of weight,
1: Oh male nurse.
0: I don't think a female (gasps) nurse would have mentioned it unless I'd put on 28 stone or something. Um, And then when I came home, I tried on some of my old shirts uh, for something I was
1: going to, and they were all a bit tight. A little bit tight. tight. across (laughs) the bust, around the middle? Oh, the arms, might Mm. be your swimmer's shoulders, I'm just gonna say. I'm gonna put it down to that, yeah. That's what it is, yeah, absolutely. But what I thought was, you
0: know what suits me better now uh, in our softening years is a softer, less rigid uh, shirt. So I've been looking everywhere. Anna has recommended Whistles. They've got a petite Mm. range. Um, There's something called the Nicola shirt. Uh, There's a bright green, white, cream or navy, uh, which I really like the look of. I think that's about £59. It's organic cotton. She also mentions their denim shirt which you can wear instead of a denim jacket over things 69 pounds a shacket a, a what a shacket a shacket shirt don't, jacket don't drift back into fashion language mm. stay real stay with me what I like is a new brand called with nothing underneath which was uh set up by the former fashion editor of Tatler Pip Terrell oh, okay. um these are really lovely so I'm always after a striped shirt red one or a blue one The Boyfriend Weave, um, which comes in a wide stripe or a a thin stripe. They're £95, so they're they're an investment, but you can wear them with absolutely everything. You can wear that all the way from day to night,
1: through the weekend, everywhere. Oh, wow, I like the sound of that. So that's with nothing
0: underneath. That's my recommendation, and I got myself a pair of beige trousers to go with that. And where did I get my beige trousers from, Trish?
1: Um, Was it your local charity shop?
0: Shelter, yes. Oh, well done. (laughs) They were bra- they're brand new. They're fr- from Arquette They've got the label Lovely. in. They were thirty quid in the charity shop. I had to pay fifteen quid to have them taken in, but they're just a big wide yeah. leg trouser. Um, mm. I was very excited about that. And then uh, while I was there, I got myself a little soft cotton check shirt mm-hmm. uh, with the Uniqlo with the uni their labels in from Oxfam for fifteen
1: pounds. So look for shirts. Well, that's good. So you'll be flapping around in your wide leg trousers. And your cotton plaid shirt. I look a bit like Catherine Hepburn in them. Oh, okay. That's fine. That's what I'm going for. I get that. Um, But Anna had some more advice about trousers, didn't she? Because she was saying that you need a cargo. I do love a cargo in the spring. You do. I have to say I do like those. But she said to go baggy. Mine are slightly more fitted. Uh, she says, all saints have some great shapes, um, right. both slim for me and voluminous. Uh, if anybody does want to, is brave enough to go to the for the baggy look. But the trick with them is, with the cargo, isn't it? is that you roll up the hem. So you don't sort of fold up, you do a little roll up. It's a, a little fashion rolly thing that stylists do. Obviously, why I love them? Because you can wear them with trainers or strappy sandals or generally flat shoes, your rubber birkin stocks, all of that, anything goes. And, um, but if you're going back, Baggy down below, obviously, it's sort of neat and fitted on the top. So, a nice little pretty fitted shirt, um, blouse, or a t shirt, I would say. And she was also recommending big, bold sunnies. Now, I've Nothing. never gone in this direction because I've got quite a little face and they look a bit overly big on me. But the ones she suggested, she's recommended a stylist called Roz Cower, K A U R, who's done a brilliant collaboration collection. And also Coz and Linda Farrow. Linda Farrow is brilliant sunglasses yep. brand, isn't it? They're really powerful, but you do need either a longer oval or round face, I think, to carry off. they those very thick lenses. They look amazing, but it's not for me. Something that is for me, though, she's saying pink. Pink is the colour. Also, punchy blues, lilac, yellow. And you can put them together, mix up those colours.
0: How are you feeling about that, Trish? Because... I'm looking at you in your black blouse, black and white blouse. There,
1: in my black polka dot blouse. Yes, exactly. I'm not doing. I'm not doing well. What my rule now is: anything I buy has to be colour because I have got a wardrobe full of like really lovely neutrals in beiges and navies and blacks and camels and whites, but not a lot of colour. And when we had Jules Standish, who's the colour expert at the Colour Consultancy, on the show last year, she. She said I needed to get colour in, didn't she, and put the colours in, keep my basics and put the colour in. So that's what I'm doing. And actually, Jules is going to be at Postcards from Midlife Live. So if anybody is trying to work out how they get more colour into their midlife wardrobe or what colours actually they should be wearing. She told me I should be wearing yellow. Do you remember? Yeah, well, you should. You can do yellow and lilac
0: now for the spring, can't you?
1: Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to be out trying to buy some yellow and lilac. And, yeah, I was quite taken with Whistle's petite range as well and saw a really nice painted leopard dress. I mean, that was quite splashy and colourful in a sort of green. And what I like about it, have this I've never heard of this shirt, S-H-I-R-R-E-D. Have you heard of that? No. Like What's a sort that? of stitched, ruched kind of bodicey. So you wouldn't really notice oh, it, but it just means it really fits on the trunk. I'm going to use the trunk word, trunk. You're your midlife middle. It's a bit of a trunk, isn't it? And then it flows out. But I can't be all baggy because otherwise it just doesn't work. So I like this shirt fitted thing that Whistles Petite has got going on. So what else did Anna have to say? Well, she did her final
0: tip. I said, if you told me to get one thing, what would it be? And she said a bomber jacket. How do you feel (gasps) about that?
1: A bomber jacket? Goodness, what sort and where from?
0: Well, a softer one, um, I think. So, again, she mentioned whistles. They've got a really nice navy one. She said softens a broad shoulder um, and adds shape to straight lines. Your swimmer's shoulder. Swimmer's shoulders. My swimmer's shoulders. My weighty swimmer's shoulders. Um, yeah, so a bomber jacket would be good. I've actually got a couple of vintage ones I'm going to uh, be bringing out for the summer, oh, as they I say in the fashion wait world. I'll see
1: you in those.
0: Yes. Smaller you are more fitted, larger you are softer. She says it's not often a great choice if you're you're a little bit more curvy or busty, but then you should go for a sort of silky option if you really feel Mm. that you want one. Now, is there any brands you can mention, Trish, that you've been looking at? Because you have been talking to me about one.
1: I have. Well, I'll tell you what, before I mentioned that particular brand, I was going to talk to you about a jacket that I discovered, which is not quite a bomber jacket, but it's a cropped sporty jacket. And it's part of the new JW Anderson at Uniqlo collaboration, these designer collaborations that uh, Uniqlo does. And I always think that they don't, you don't see it in the stores that often, or sometimes it's hard to see. But if you go online and have a look every now and then, they do them with all sorts of incredible fashion brands. And they're, got a new JW Anderson out now. And there are two great jackets, a a linen blazer for summer, uh, which I've definitely got my eye on. And um, this cropped sort of sporty jacket in a pale blue or a navy blue. Um, And they're not very expensive. And then on April the 10th, they've got an Andy Warhol flowers t-shirt collection coming out. £20 for these t-shirts. And they're really nice. You better order that now. You better pre-order that. Order it now. Well, get get a little alarm on your on your calendar and uh, pop online on the tenth of April. So um I think those are really nice. And then the other brand, which I've been talking to you about, actually, is called Nearby, but spelt N R B Y. Have you heard of that one? Yes,
0: I have it's heard nice, of that yeah. one. Yeah.
1: And the reason it's called Nearby, it's this idea of having clothes that are they're not for work, they're not for socialising, they're just the sort of It's what the Japanese call one mile wear. So if you're going within one mile of your home, the kind of clothes that, you know, you don't want to be out in your trackies necessarily because somebody might see you, God forbid. But equally you don't want to be putting too much effort and thought into it. But they do beautiful, uh lovely, lovely sort of separates, very feminine. And they've just done a collaboration with the Royal Ballet's principal ballerina, Marianella Lunes. And um oh, lovely. It's good. And I think a percentage of it goes to the Royal Opera House Foundation. So lots of lovely paisley silk dresses and trousers. And you know what I put my eye on is you're gonna you're gonna laugh when I tell you this. Fabard? Yes. Well, they they are in. They're, everyone's buying them, Trish. Well, of course, I'm late to everything, yes. as you know. I mean, I know yeah. you're, you're way ahead and I'm always no. very late. Because that's because I'm sensitive and I think about things too much and consider all the options. That's because I'm
0: easily distracted and want yes. everything
1: immediately now. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what about you? Um, any other brands? I found a lovely
0: little uh, website. I don't know how to say it. Um, you might know because you probably have a better French accent. It's called douceur.co.uk, mm. D-O-U-C-E-U-R. And it's uh, French for soft and sweet. Oh, And it's set up by Sarah Clark, who's a former art director on the Glossy Mics. Um, she set up Little Spree uh, about 20 years ago. Mm. And what it is, and I'm finding this as I shop a bit more now, it's a curated edit of lovely things. <laughs> Oh, okay. So, it's just one yeah. or two pieces to save you. If you go on to Zara and you just, it's overwhelming that you just don't know. It's too much. It's too, too much for me.
1: Oh, scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And
0: yeah. So, in my little um, search for a pinstripe uh, shirt, but a softer one, less hard edged, I found um, on Dusa some Abercrombie ones for £52. Pounds, really nice, slightly oversized. Also, there was a H&M one, £79, which was a silk blend. So, she does the edit for you. The team do. They're kind Mm -hmm. of tastemakers. They do the edit for you. And they have brands like Aline, uh, which I've mentioned before. So, it's a really nice little edit. So, I was quite excited to find that.
1: Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, I'm in the sort of shopping from my wardrobe that we all do, (laughs) which is basically… Obviously, going back through everything you have and and pulling things out and, and thinking, well, actually, do you know what? This season, this might work. Um, I've been doing a bit more maintenance, and that involves I bought a new woolly jumper shaver. <laughs> You've been on QVC again. Your late <laughs> yeah. night QVC shopping. I think it was Argos. Actually, it's a Philips. Little jumper debobbler, which um, I just think is brilliant. Is it dollars nine ninety nine? It's fantastic. It makes your jumpers and and everything look brand new. But I'm also going to be investing in a steamer, a handheld <laughs> steamer. <laughs> What's that for? Well, I tell you what, I I find that I pay a fortune at the dry cleaners for things, and I just think, oh, you know, when you can't remember how many times you've worn something, maybe I need a little labeling thing. And obviously, you can give it a sniff, but sometimes I just <laughs> think. Oh, God, have I worn that 20 times before it's gone to a dry cleaner? I'm fed up of paying a fortune there. So yeah. this was recommended by Laura Mountford, who has uh, – she's a social media cleaning laundry star. Yeah. Half a million followers.
0: Yes. Who knew? That's what we should be doing, cleaning. Yeah. Cleaning, yeah. yeah podcasting. That's, that's the answer. Cleaning on Instagram.
1: She's got a new book out in April called Live, Laugh, Laundry by Laura Mountford. She says that she hasn't dried cleaned anything for 20 years, but she steam cleans everything instead. So you can buy these like, you know, T-Fal little handheld clothes steamer. So I thought I'm going to give that a go. I will be excited to see the reel, the Instagram reel that goes with that. <gasps> oh Yes, maybe that could be the start of my, my cleaning Instagram TikToking <laughs> master plan. Yes, what do you think? yes.
0: Well, I might need your steamer because... I don't really buy new things anymore. I might buy one or two pieces, but I mostly buy pre-loved, as you know. And uh, I do always try to wash everything once I've got it in from the charity shop. I might need your steamer. But Mm. I found a really nice new pre-loved website, uh, actually. It's called Curate and Rotate, set up by a woman who used to be a PA. And every Sunday at 8 o'clock on Instagram or on their website, they have a new drop of pre-loved clothes. And it can Mm -hmm. be anything from Zara. Right the way up to Mother of Pearl, you know, all these kind of slightly more designery labels that are slightly more expensive. They also put dead stock. So brands that don't want to sell their stock anymore, Mm. it's floating around. They take that as well. It's for people who like a more minimalist style, I would say. But it's got some really lovely things on there. So curate and rotate. And I thought I would then mention uh, Green Muse Preloved, which is a great brand on uh, Instagram, which is, uh, they've got loads of stuff on there. And that comes up every day. So you just watch it um, if you're looking out for a particular piece. And there's something called Edit Secondhand, which is another pre preloved site. That's less minimal. Green mm. Muse is less minimal as well. So I think it's always worth looking for pre-loved when you're looking for spring. Yeah. So we know shirts are in, we know um lilac greens yellows are in we know all these things are kind of around so you know look on the pre-love sites for those things and they'll they'll be there and you'll be refreshing your wardrobe in a modern way with pre-loved fashion yes. and it's a kind of circular
1: fashion uh, should i tell you a trend from this season that i'm not going to be embracing because i did it in the 80s fringing have you seen that lots of fringing fringing on jumpers fringing on jackets I don't like boho, So, um, wow well, I it's don't got it boho. boho maybe it? it probably does. Fringing on the bottom of skirts. I had a sort of long, brownie tan suede. I'm going to say Pocahontas type jacket. Wore it with McQuiff, oh, you know, all of that. <laughs> going to see the Smiths. That was my look. So, I just feel that. I spent enough time in fringing, don't need to do it again. I think you have to be the same
0: height as Giselle to wear fringing. (laughs) I think any of us under five foot three as we are just looks like some kind of bonkers accessory if we wear fringing.
1: Exactly. I hope that has been very helpful for everybody listening. There's a lot to choose from there. We will put obviously all the recommendations on the episode post that goes up on the Facebook group every week. Um, but if you have any um queries, fashion queries, questions, we will try and get Anna to answer them, won't we? Yes. But we also have the fabulous stylist Melissa Murrell coming to the live show as well. We and do. you can actually win a one-to-one styling session with her, which is brilliant. Email us at hello at postcardsfromidlife.com and go on the event website to get your tickets. Our special guest today is actress, filmmaker, and women's health activist, Mika Simmons, whose podcast, The Happy Vagina, is dedicated to discussing female bodies, women's sexual experience, and our gynecological health with her celebrity and expert guests. You might recognise Mika from roles in TV shows such as ITV's Unforgotten and last year's hit BBC drama, Show Trial, but she is also a star behind the camera directing award-winning short films such as Rain Stops Play starring Tara Fitzgerald and the comedy Breach with Jolie Richardson and Ray Fearon. It was losing her mother at just 54 to ovarian cancer that led Mika to co-found the Lady Garden Foundation, a national women's health charity that raises awareness and funding for gynaecological health. And alongside Nimco Alley, she leads the Ginsburg Women's Health Board, which is aiming to revolutionise women's healthcare system in the UK And diminishing the gender health gap within the NHS for women of all intersections. Today, she is here to talk about her book, also titled The Happy Vagina, which has been described as for any vulva owner who has wanted more pleasure, less shame, and a roadmap for accepting and understanding their body. Mika says, We are not small, medium, or large. We are women. We come in all shapes and sizes, and
2: we are perfect just as we are. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Mika. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I've been dying to come on for ages. Uh, oh, I'm really <laughs> grateful. <laughs> well,
1: we are so pleased to have you here because we love the book. It's so witty. It's helpful. It's really fascinating. And I mean, we learned things about our bodies that even as journalists in our 50s, we didn't know, <laughs> such as that the clitoris grows after menopause. Firstly, what's going on there? And secondly, what else surprised you when researching this book?
2: Just to like super caveat before we do our deep dive into vaginas, Mm -hmm. I'm not an expert. So in terms of what is going on there, your body changes your shape, your feet continue to grow, your nose continues to grow. I think in general, it's kind of understood that actually parts of our body get smaller and some get bigger as we get older. And the one that I didn't know about before writing the book when I went and researched everyone else's research was that the clitoris continues to grow. And there's some suggestion that maybe that's partly why orgasms can get stronger as you get older as a woman. They also can become less frequent and less intense. But sometimes when you do have them, they're stronger. So there's some suggestion around that, particularly because this is my favorite thing that I've learned. Uh, is it the favorite? One of them. But from all of my work in this space since starting the Half-Bagina podcast is that, that the clitoris is... Not a kind of single DJ button at the front of the body, but it actually has a ganglion of nerves It goes back through the vagina wall, and that is where your G spot should be or could be if the nerves are strong and long enough. And that's the G spot is not some mythological unicorn that no one can find. It's actually the back of the clitoris, so it kind of makes sense, really, to me that that it grows and that that changes shape as as, as a kind of an organ on on its own. And other things that surprise me. I mean, my favourite fact that I always talk about is that the egg chooses the sperm.
0: I know. I mean, really, honestly, the myth around us waiting for the <sighs> sperm—it's really annoying, isn't it? Tell us what happens.
2: It's to do with kind of an, an energetic uh, field that the egg puts out. We all have energy in our body, and for anyone listening who thinks I'm talking woo-woo, I'm not. You know, water creates energy, movement creates an energy, that, and that energy—and your eggs move. They have a, a power. And an energy that gets sent out and transmits that they're sensitive and and have the ability to allow a sperm in if they would like to.
0: It sort of invites the sperm in, doesn't it, in a way, which is reversing our thinking. And I think a lot of stuff in the book is reversing our thinking. It's really... I mean, it's really well written. It's thoroughly researched, but it's written in bite-sized pieces for for listeners who haven't seen it so you can absolutely understand what's going on. And it's very modern thinking as well. I did get a little bit cross with the patriarchy while I was reading it. I mean, most female body parts, as you explained, are named after the men that discovered them, which I did find quite shocking. I mean, the G-spot is, um, what was it, Ernst, Dr. Ernst Gratzenberg. And you also, you talk a lot about women's pain being ignored, the medical gaslighting that occurs in all areas of our health, particularly our gynecological health. Mm. What was the thing that made you most cross, do you think, about the way women have to bend around this patriarchal system to, to sort of stay alive, really, in some cases?
2: Well, when I was writing the book, I noticed that I was writing a lot of content that was overturning myths. And I realized that I needed to share, shed a light on where these myths have come from. So as you said, the beginning of the book, it's kind of a potted history of women's health or or not women's health and explains that men were the doctors and that actually, in all honesty, they didn't even discover women's actual bodies because when they first were allowed to cut up cadavers, which is a dead body for anyone that doesn't know, the church, because the church thought quite rightly that we've got a soul. And they thought that it was really dangerous because they, then they were a bit deluded, that if you cut up a body, then the soul would somehow like be disturbed or something. So you were only allowed to cut up bodies of human beings who had done some criminal wrong. And the criminal wrong in that time was mostly being done by men mm-hmm. because men were the wanderers and the ones that were out kind of like harvesting and trying to get food and work. And the women were often at home in a kind of a community raising children. And so women's bodies actually weren't even properly investigated they weren't cut up and leonardo da vinci's drawings which i've put in the book he used animals he cut up female animals you know i just thought it was really important to kind of like explain really where it all went wrong and obviously we then only had male doctors and then women weren't included in scientific trials so it's this sort of like kind of journey of wrongdoing that happened. And there's there's a lot in the first chapter of things that I think are quite funny, like the wandering womb that, you know, these deluded practitioners right back in the early day thought that our wombs wandered around our body. And this is the funny bit, that wafting a candle underneath would draw it back down. Like, <laughs> so it's like absolute nonsense. The thing that I feel most angry about, honestly, is actually the the use of slaves for medical testing. So yeah. there were three specific black women in New York that were the slaves of the doctor who created the speculum. And he also created a mm. specific procedure that actually saves millions of women's lives. So this, this procedure is, it's groundbreaking and we're grateful to him, but he tested these procedures on women who were, were slaves, which means A, they couldn't say no. And B, they were not given anesthetic because they weren't oh. really seen as human. And mm-hmm. I feel, I think, it, of all the wrongdoings, I think that's probably the worst. Yeah.
1: And then you also make some um, really good points about the kind of shame placed on women's bodies and uh, the ownership of women's bodies and our yeah. bodily functions, and that we it's something we should feel shameful of and embarrassed about. And I think a lot of us sort of Gen X women, but older than you, Mika, who are like in our late 40s, 50s, we're still uncomfortable about looking at our vaginas and our vulvas or naming them. But tell us why we should love our vaginas and strive to make them happy.
2: It's so funny, isn't it? Because it's really visceral. It's really visceral. It's something that takes a great deal of consciousness and dedication, I think, to overrule these automatic feelings of hatred of our own bodies, and particularly, you know, the vulva, which we think of as ugly. I don't think it's just for women, though. I think the truth is, I you know, I feel really, it's really important to acknowledge the fact that many men feel that way too about their genitals. You know, it's mm. just the, the shame stems from, as I mentioned before, the church and the religion that saw that area of our bodies as, as, as a place of shame in terms of self-love and kind of really learning to be okay with yourself. I would say that that's really the starting point, which is that it's just just to try and be okay and to remember that your mood will change your attitude towards it. And if you just get like one day when you look down and think, hey, I look beautiful. I mean, I think it's no different to how we feel about ourselves. You know, some days you walk out of the house thinking like, yeah, I'm like Angelina Jolie. And the next day you walk out thinking, God. I'm like, you know, 310 and I feel like I'm hit by a bus. And that's to do with your hormones. So I think take the pressure off. I don't think it's it's useful for anyone to be forcing themselves out of negative feelings or shame. It just doesn't. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Forcing anything in life doesn't work. I think inviting does. And so just invite a conscious conversation with yourself where you're noticing that you do have those negative thoughts or that you are frightened because it's fear, essentially. Like that you are frightened of either looking or talking about your vulva, your vagina, your pubic area, notice it, acknowledge it, be okay with the fact that it's not yours, it's social conditioning, it's not your fault, mm-hmm. don't beat yourself up for it, don't force it, and then just gently try to invite some other language don't beat yourself up if you're using nicknames. Obviously, I started Lady Garden Foundation. Mm-hmm. None of us could say <laughs> vagina back then. Now I've got a podcast. And I hosted <laughs> an event last night and we asked the, the the audience whether or not they felt comfortable saying pubic. And almost everyone said no. And then we asked if they were happy saying they were vagina. And almost everyone said yes. And I thought, oh, my work here is done. Oh, progress. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but just like to end, you know, a lot of the shame comes from school. Like we all tease yeah. each other. It's so I, school is such an awful place. Mm. The teasing that goes on when your brain is forming, you can just like, it it goes in and then you you walk around life, don't you? Like somehow not even knowing that you're embarrassed about your period because someone laughed at you for it when you were like 13, you know, that stuff. I think that stuff, if you can get rid of that stuff, then I think you're on the path to freedom.
0: I'm hoping the the next generation are are on that uh, Hmm. mission. So we talk on the podcast quite a bit about perimenopause, which is the, the 10 to 15 years before menopause, menopause 51 in this country. Um, and one of the main symptoms, and we've been told around 80% of women will experience some form of this is vaginal atrophy. Um, and it's, it's absolutely debilitating. I mean, we've met women who can't sit down and, and not really talk to their doctor about it because it's a bit of a shock when you go through that. And also you get loss of libido. It's a terrible ripple effect. And, and your sex life at this stage of your life can be hugely affected whether you're single what you know whether you're in a relationship and i think it's it's really difficult for women to when they've gone through that then got support to find themselves for want of a better word sexy again to feel it again what what did you find out when you were researching the book for women going through that perimenopause problem because it's such high numbers of women that get some form of symptom um, either vaginally or in the vulva
2: i don't have any experience of the Conditions specific to perimenopause that you are talking about. I've had a couple of early symptoms. I'm just kind of coming into my perimenopause. I was just recently in New York on my book tour and I was a really old girl from university. And there's sort of this delusion that goes on about the human body, isn't there? Which I've already referenced that that, like, you know, you kind of do think that's not going to happen to me. So I feel really sad that women feel that they can't talk about it. And it's definitely connected to the deep Pressure on or, or hailing of youth as, as something to adhere to that somehow or other one's vagina having a period of being more dry suggests that you're getting old, right? It's like the withered kind of. So I would just tell your head to shut up around that stuff, basically. And that you've got to be pretty brutal, like literally tell those thoughts to F off. I follow this great um, sex educator on Instagram called Sex Dashie, and she talks a lot about the stuff that happens to men as they get older. And I think, you know, we all have the shame about getting older, I've stopped saying um, aging. I've started saying upgrading. So <laughs> I, I don't run anymore because my body's upgrading and, it, and my knees can't help cope with it. Or I'm, or I'm going to try that up, that skin for my upgrading skin. And the other thing, this is probably controversial because as I've said, I'm not there yet, but Adina Porter, amazing actress, was on my, my podcast this season, like three episodes ago. And she said when her menopause started, she just decided that she wasn't going to buy into it too much. And I do think particularly given in the uk at the moment there's been a huge like surge of people talking about the menopause and there's some controversy about some of the stuff that people say there's all this kind of like in mean, chat and that's great right it's great but it can also make us slightly more vulnerable like <gasps> there's this funny line with human nature isn't there between how much to talk about stuff and how much not to talk about stuff and adina was just like i just decided i wasn't going to have it and that i was going to put all of my attention and love on the things about that were great about it. And I wasn't going to focus on the negatives. Now, I do think sometimes symptoms can be so overwhelming that that's probably not possible. And I want to honor those people that that's going on for. But if you're like sat on the midline and cusping, like, oh, am I or am I not? Just again, just like, see if you can use the power of your mind and your heart to override negative thinking as a starting point. So don't feel badly about yourself that your vagina is getting a bit drier and do use all the supplements that you can use. Do drink loads of water and do exercise and do all the stuff that you can. And don't buy into the aging. Don't buy into it. That's the stuff that makes you feel like you're not sexy anymore. It's got nothing to do with the menopause. It's about the fact that being older is not meant to be sexy. And it is. It's really sexy because you've got so much knowledge. You've got so much wisdom, you know, and like, it's just, it's great. But it's your choice. You have to choose that. You have to choose that. It's not easy because the whole of society tells us that getting older is not sexy. And uh, talking of sexy, there's a very
1: brilliant chapter in the book called The Sex Was So Good Even The Neighbours Had A Cigarette. (laughs) And you do devote a lot of information to the importance of self-pleasure. You've talked a lot already about getting in the right mindset of loving yourself physically and mentally. And really, it's got nothing to do with whether you have a partner or not. And you talk about something called mindful masturbation and why our bodies don't always need to be racing for the orgasm.
2: Tell us about that. It's intriguing. Well, it's really important to acknowledge that climax is not possible for everyone. And there's some controversy about whether or not that's to do with psychological stuff or whether or not it's actually a physiological thing that cannot happen. And I don't have the answer on that. But what I do know is that all of the benefits that one reaps through climaxing are also available to us through just pleasure so just touch whether that be with a partner or on your own so to take the pressure off of climax like don't make it about that don't make it about that what's the point in doing it unless i'm actually gonna and particularly i suppose i would say if 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 that is true for any women listening that their libido has dropped because they're in their menopause given the nature of your listeners then don't give up just because you're not coming really hard like make sure you're still actually exploring and having a nice time you know it releases all these amazing hormones like oxytocin which is like a pain reliever you know it, actually giving yourself a hug is almost as good as someone else giving yourself a hug you know so just touching your body even dry skin brushing all of that stuff I'm, I'm a really big fan of and the mindful masturbation is a practice where you aren't seeking climax where actually you'd stop just before you do climax so it's got a feeling of a bit of tantric sex around it it became really a bit of a thing during the pandemic when a lot of people that weren't in relationships were needing to explore, you know, pleasure on their own in order to make sure that they were still physically enjoying themselves and and not denying themselves that aspect of our of our humanity. It's 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 tricky. It's a tricky one, you know. We live in a society where climax is kind of the it's like the, it's like the end goal, isn't it?
0: Now, your book, um, which is super easy to read, and I love the way you you say you're just a disobedient woman at the beginning <laughs> so it's really humorous and upbeat but um, there is this really serious side uh, to your book because this has been you know your work for the last uh, two decades really in a way and that is to raise awareness of women's health particularly the bits we don't know that much about and this is partly because you lost your mum Rosie mm-hmm. um, to ovarian cancer when she was 54 but as a result of that and the hard work and research you've you've done. You set up um, a charity called the Lady Garden Foundation. Do you want to explain to listeners who may not have heard, I mean, I think it's pretty uh, well known, what the Lady Garden Foundation is and why you set that up after your mum died?
2: My mum died 20 years ago and, um, or just over 20 years ago. And I I lost myself actually for the first 10 years, which I don't think is unusual. made some really bad choices in my life and was in pure escapism it was a very 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 difficult time to process that I just left drama school I just got my first acting job all I'd ever wanted was to be in a period drama and I literally left drama school and got this amazing job in Daphne de Moray's Frenchman's Creek and it was like life was just really good you know it was really really good and I went home for my for, I think it's for a birthday weekend or something and my mum sat down at the table and told us she had ovarian cancer. And told us that she was not going to die from it. So we spent nine months. Really, actually, I bought into that. And, and I wasn't very well educated around ovarian cancer. I didn't know how deadly it is. And especially didn't really understand what stage four meant. So it was a, sh- a nine-month process of trying to save her life. And when she got the all clear, because the medication she was on, a trial medication, I think we thought, I just thought we'd nailed it, you know. And then she went away to america for some vacation time with american friends and to do some counseling and stuff like actually to do some processing she came back and my brother picked her up from the airport and he said that she could hardly walk and we took her into the hospital and they said that she and these were her words that she was riddled with cancer so she got the complete all clear and then within three weeks was riddled with cancer We had to, she then wanted to go and have more treatment. She wanted to go to Germany. She'd found this place in Germany that was, you know, a different clinic. And I, this, the most painful thing for me of it all was that I actually had to say to my brother, we need to tell her that she's not going to make it because she's dying. And I could see that she was dying. And so my brother and I had to sit down with my mum and say, you're not going to live, mum. We can't take you to Germany. You're going to, you're going to die. You know, she was 54. She was not actually really angry about the whole thing, to be honest with you. She was definitely not like, you know, writing any books about finding peace with death. Mm -hmm. She was absolutely livid. She felt like she'd only just started living. So it was really shocking. And I was with her on my own when she died. She died in my arms. Mm. I I took her to a hospice. I'd been nursing her. I nursed her for the whole nine months. I gave up my career pretty much. The day that she she died, I, I couldn't cope anymore. She was being really quite unhinged. There was a madness around it, which I now know that's quite normal, but I didn't know. So I thought I was just taking her into a hospice for a rest and she didn't come out. She died that night. So I I don't I didn't know how to process it. I had therapy, but I didn't have any peers that had been through it. I think probably if you lose a parent at the right time, you get a different sort of experience to what I did. And I just shut down. I was I was pretty angry. So ten years on, really amazingly. My next door neighbor in my apartment moved in and she, Dr. Susanna Banerjee, and she has made her life's work to study ovarian cancer. So she approached me a few months after she'd got this role at the Royal Marsden to be the head of oncology for gynaec cancers at the Royal Marsden. And she was then going to do some research under the ICR, the Institute of Cancer Research, which is the third most successful, if that's the right way to put it, in the world, in the world, right here in London. And it's NHS and um, asked if I'd do some fundraising. And we created Lady Garden Foundation. And we're st- you know, one of the most exciting and brilliant things that we did is that there's a, a medication on the market today called Olive Parrot, which we put quite a lot of money into the money that all of our donors have given us into. And that medication prolongs the life of women with ovarian cancer. So That's I would incredible. just like to imagine someone who had something similar. To me, if it was caught a little bit earlier, my mum my was stage four. It's very difficult to treat a stage four mm-hmm. cancer, if I'm honest. So it's very far gone. But if, if you, if you catch it a bit earlier, the, the medication that we were a primary funder of might just give you another five years. Back to the awareness
1: raising. I mean, it's so important, Nico, because we read some shocking statistics that 86% of women are unaware of gynecological cancer symptoms. 58% are embarrassed to talk about it. Yet more than 400 women will get a gynecological cancer diagnosis every week. I mean, why are we? I mean, you're doing such great work, but what's going on?
2: Why are we not informed about it? Something very important to highlight is that cervical cancer which is one of the five gynecological cancers is very well treated very well identified and often caught early enough that it has no detrimental impact on your life or your lifespan and i believe one of the reasons is because it's on the outside of the body so it's quite easy sims the doctor that i referenced earlier who created the speculum which allows us to do the cervical scrape to test if you've got precancerous cells. Although, you know, what he did was appalling to those women. He did create a piece of an item of of medical machinery that allows us to identify cervical cancer. So I don't think that those statistics would reference cervical cancer. No. But with with uterus, uterine, fallopian tube, ovarian, there's a few things that happen. One is that they are inside of the body. I mean, listen, so are your lungs, so is your bowel. But I think they're harder to detect when something's wrong. With a bowel movement, unless you're completely disconnected from yourself, you probably will notice quite quickly if something's wrong. Most, most women or people who have periods who are experiencing odd symptoms, they might not be surprised by them because they may have had odd, odd symptoms before because our menstrual cycles are absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm, I mean, yeah. there's no two ways about it. And I feel bonkers when I have mine often, you know, and it's just, they can be crazy. I can do things. I'm like, next day. I'm like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? What was wrong with me? You know, they're really, really powerful. It's a really powerful change that we go through monthly. So I think it makes it really hard for women to identify mm. when they have something that's wrong. I was just talking about this last night to a doctor and saying, you know, I get a societus quite often. At what stage do I go to the doctor and say, is this actually something that we need to investigate deeper? And even I don't know. And this is like, you know, it's my life's work in terms of being an activist is, talking about these things. And it's it's tricky. And I think we have some shame about going to the doctors. But in terms of the gender health gap, and this is getting better, I would say that that has impacted diagnoses. If we look at what happened for my mum, she was told that she would probably had fibroids because that was something that was quite typical for a woman of her age during the menopause. So, you know, I think that the that the gender health gap has impacted us at that stage when you go into the doctors and you ask to be seen and you ask for the tests. Often they haven't been that well informed. So my suggestion around that is that you, you need to to know your body really, really well and stop, stop giving your power away to doctors. Stop giving your, I mean, literally stop giving your power away to a medical system who don't spend every day with you. You spend every day with you. Get to know your body. Keep a diary. Make sure that if you do feel uncomfortable, just go back but go in armed with the things that you know you can get for the test that you think it is, you know. I mean, I worked really closely with the government on their women's health strategy back in 2021 into 22. We, we managed to get over 100,000 responses from women all over the nation, what they felt was wrong about women's health. I mean, that's unheard of for a government poll, let me tell you, but we all really rallied hard. And I, I really hope that one of the suggestions that they're making within that proposal is that there will be women's health hubs I think it might depend on your local doctor, but whether it'll be within your surgery or whether there'll be like a new little pop up. But within that, there will be experts that really do deeply understand women's bodies so that when you go in with a thing that you're worried about, they will have extensive experience and have dealt with that with other women before rather than maybe seeing a 22 year old new male GP. You know, he's probably doing his best, but he's just never, ever, ever had to deal with this before.
0: Can we talk about you as an actor, producer, right? I mean, you're, you're kind of, you're like the modern woman who can do lots of different things alongside the kind of main skill. For our generation, you had one thing and you really had to stick to it. You could, God forbid that you tried to do anything else as well alongside it. This, your, your career feels like a very modern way to be a woman today. Now, tell us a little bit about my week with Maisie, starring one of our favourite women, Joanna Lumley. How was that? How did that come about? Let the listeners know where we can find that.
2: It's not out yet. We're in post-production on My Week with Maisie. And it's my third directorial adventure. It's the first piece of work that I've directed that's not my writing. It's not my dialogue. And the story is not mine either. And the script had already won 13 awards just as a script. And I, and I thought that's probably quite a good project for me. And I sent it to Joanna. And Joanna wrote to me the next day and said... I Really want to do it. Actually, her agent wrote me the next day. So I sent it directly to Joanna and then I got a, a call from her agent saying she'd really like to do it. And then they sent dates and then we we, we shot it and we shot it over my birthday last year in London. And it was so fun. She's such an amazing woman to work with. It was it was a hard shoot because it's actually kind of like a two-hander. So it's 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 Joanna and a and a new young actress called Ellie May Sam playing Maisie. And it's all dialogue between them two. And we had three days to shoot it in one room. We've got two other actresses, Poppy Gilbert and Miana Buring, in it playing the nurses. They come in and out, but they were in for a day. And yeah, working with Joanna and, and this young woman on, on the exactly. script was just, yeah, it's really <laughs> wonderful. And she's just so funny. She's so funny. Oh, well, listen, thank you so much. It's been,
1: we've learned so much. It's so interesting. You've got so many different things going on. It's fantastic. And as we say, the book, The Happy Vagina, is out now. It's brilliant. And of course, your podcast people can download every week. So thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thanks for asking such great questions. It's been lovely to chat to you. (laughs) If you'd like to get in touch
1: with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello
0: at postcardsfromidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can.
1: And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trish's questions to gain access to the group,
0: where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. I'm going to intro Trish with her pussy bow, with her pussy next to her, for our Nostalgia Noodle section. So this week, I was interacting with the lovely Casey Ainsworth, who Mm -hmm. came on our show, uh, Little Mo from EastEnders, the actor. And she had been to Cheltenham Races wearing their most gorgeous sort of houndstooth black and white outfit. And I'd said, that's brilliant. Where's that from? And she said, it's vintage Mm -hmm. from Richard's Shops. Oh, (laughs) oh,
1: my goodness. That's brilliant. Do you remember Richard's Shops? Richard's Shops are filled with all the pretty things. Do we remember that? You were swaying along there. We had one in Wembley. We had one in Wembley, in the square in Wembley. I feel like I went there. I have a memory going there to try and possibly find a confirmation outfit. Do you know what a confirmation is? I don't know. My my <laughs> parents did not believe in any form of organised religion. No. Okay, so it's it's a it's a Catholic rite of passage when you're about thirteen or fourteen. But I think I thought it was really frumpy and old at the time because my mum used to shop there, and I always remember the models, the mannequins had those purdy bowl cut wigs. Very strong memories coming back from Richard yes. Shops. Did you what? ever shop in Richard Shops?
0: There was one. In oh, Plenna. was there? Yeah, see, very good. Yes. So that. Apparently it started in 1936 and ran all the way through to March 2000. And then it was good. I think there were um, hardly any of them left. And then they got swept up by the whole Arcadia group and... It was goodbye, Richard Shops, oh. but it's amazing how they've stayed in. And on her Instagram, everyone had commented about, yes. "Oh, I got my
1: pencil skirts from
0: there. Yes. I got my navy
1: blue jackets from." Oh, there. It was the only place that there were no fashion shops. That's why no. there was nothing, was there? Oh. No, I I think that's really good. I had a quick little squiz on eBay earlier. Just had a quick look. Loads of really nice things, Richard Shops yeah. vintage things on there. I'm going to be doing a bit of pre-loved shopping. You get there, I get you get them. Back
0: home, steamed. Yes. Oh, we could steam that cat as well, couldn't we? Yes. We could have a lot of fun with Margot in the steaming.
1: We could redo her whole steam hairstyle. Steamed Is that cruel? We...
0: Yeah, uh, can't do yes. that to
1: cats. Oh. Well, thank you for listening to our fashion and vagina-inspired episode today. Laugh and learn. <laughs> Laugh and learn with Lorraine and <laughs> Trish. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye. Oh, bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>